On this edition of the Scott Radley Show podcast, we are going to be talking about the economy. And here's why. We have been hearing in recent days and weeks, some people saying, look, don't worry about the economy. The economy will get to that once we solve the whole COVID thing. But these are two separate, mutually exclusive things. We can't be worrying about getting the economy restarted until we have the world back to some form of normal health-wise. Well, maybe. Maybe. I don't believe they are mutually exclusive, and Marvin Ryder, I don't think, will either, because if we don't have an economy, we will have other health issues, bad diet, mental health, other things. These are things that need to work together. Why are we not doing that? We'll talk about it. We're going to talk about Hamilton and our streets. There are plans now to be putting all the flower beds in along the boulevards. Should we be this year, or should we be taking a pass and putting the money and the effort and the staff on other things? Uh, the CFL has made its pitch to the Canadian government for up to $150 million in a bailout. Did they make the case, and do they need this money? We'll be talking about that as well. Lots of stuff coming up. Enjoy. Today on the Scott Radley Show on 900 CHML. If you were here last night, and thank you if you were, uh, we were talking last night about your personal finances. Because uh, amidst everything else that's happening, there are some... Uh, there is some good news potentially. Some of you who still have work, who still have your job, who still are making the same income you always did, but now aren't driving to work, aren't going to restaurants, aren't going to movies, aren't going out shopping, you may be finding all of a sudden that you have an awful lot more money at the end of the month. That's a good thing. That's, well, potentially, that's a good thing for you. And this could be the beginning of learning some new tools, learning some new things that you don't have to spend money on and maybe having a more healthy financial bottom line when this whole thing opens up again. However, however, we also know, and we talked about this just at the end of the conversation yesterday, that the world economy, the Canadian economy is a second thing. We've got our own little micro economy in our house, but we've also got the Canadian economy to look after. And lately I've been hearing an awful lot of people talking about the economy and the coronavirus as two completely separate things that don't seem to bear any relation to each other. And we must, some people seem to be saying, forget about the economy for now. Don't worry about it. We've got to look after the health issue entirely. So don't even talk to me about the economy until the virus is looked after. And then we'll come back and start working on the economy. I want to bring in Marvin Ryder from the DeGroote School of Business, favorite of all of ours. Marvin, thanks for doing this today. Glad to be with you. So when we hear about these two sides, and look, I, I certainly understand that we have to look after the, the health side of things, and that is a priority. But when people are now painting this as we've got two mutually exclusive things going on here, the economy and the health side of it, um, am I wrong that that seems to be a mistake to essentially say we can't deal with one until the other one is looked after? A mistake. Well, I, I don't know if I'll use the word a mistake, but those two issues must be related. Um, uh, it, they have to be connected in some way, uh, shape, and form. Uh, and you know, here's just a great example. What is a human life worth? Um, terrible thing that happened back in 9-11. Plane flies into a building. The building collapses. Several thousand people lost their life. They wanted damages. Well, all right, but, but what is somebody worth? Are they worth a million dollars? Are they worth $10 million? Are we all worth the same amount of money? In other words, if a CEO was killed in that, when that building collapsed and the CEO earns a million dollars a year, 
presumably his or her life would be worth more than somebody who might have been the janitor in that building. These are important questions to ask, but difficult questions to ask. Mm. And, and so, you know, again, a great example on this is we, at this point, and I'm not trying to downplay this, but at this point in Canada, 65,000 people have been diagnosed with COVID-19. We're a population of 37.5 million people. That means 0.15% of us have caught COVID-19. 99.85% of us have not caught COVID-19. In terms of deaths right now in Canada, there's a little over 4,400 people who were killed. You know, that's 0.01% of the population. Now, those are 4,400 individuals who each in their own way have contributed marvelously to the community, their family, what have you. But are the billions of dollars, and let's not kid ourselves, we're talking about we're spending hundreds of billions of dollars on support programs, what have you. Does that offset those lives? Are lives worth, are, that, are they priceless? Or are, you know, is there an amount? And these are very important, but also very difficult questions to ask. Well, uh, yes, and I think you're right. And the, and the reason that I bring it up is this, is that when people, and I've heard it sometimes cavalierly say, look, anyone who would talk about worrying about the economy right now is losing sight of what's really important. And, I, and I'm with you, Marvin. I, I agree that you know the value of a human life is, it, you know, we, we, how do you put a number on that? But in the long run, if we do not pay attention properly to the economy and we end up with a terrible, terrible, terrible economy as a result of this, which is possible, probable, I don't know. We will have other consequences to deal with and not just economic. You will have people yeah. who will have health issues, that bad diet or mental health issues or other problems. This is not just, I don't think, something where we say one has no bearing on the other. Yes. So let me come at that in two different ways, if you don't mind. First, I should point out, and I think everyone knows this, that we're not in this alone. So this is a little different than when SARS hit us roughly 20 years ago, that the Toronto area, including Hamilton, was a hot spot, but SARS wasn't a big deal in other parts of the world. In this situation, COVID-19 seems to have affected almost every country in the world, and every country has adopted the same, same protocols. So it's costing everybody, it's not Canada alone, whatever damage is being done to our economy, well, it's paralleled in the United States, in Japan, in Germany, in England. So we're all in this big boat together. I think our answers might be different if we were in the boat all by ourselves. Um, but, but I think the other thing, as you're pointing out, is uh, tomorrow you're going to hear the unemployment data for Canada. Um, we know it wasn't good when we saw March's numbers. I'm just going to tell you now April's going to look worse. I suspect you're going to hear about an unemployment rate of somewhere between 15 and 20%. These are numbers we haven't seen since the Great Depression. You're listening to the Scott Radley Show podcast on 900 CHML. Just before the break, we were, we were talking about this position that some have taken that there's the health side of things right now and there's the economy side of things. And don't even bother us with the economy side of things. We've got to worry about the health side before we get worried about the economy. And just before the break, Marvin was mentioning that, and I obviously I believe very accurately, it's not exactly smart. You can't eliminate the consequences of ignoring the economy, even though it may be in some way secondary. Marvin, just before we broke, you were talking about the employment numbers, and they're coming out tomorrow, I guess, and they could be really bad. Right. We're expecting to see a, an unemployment rate in Canada of between 15 and 20%. 
Uh, now, that's not a shock because we knew that was going to happen when we shut down the economy, so we can call that planned unemployment. But the plan is also that at some point, and now it's getting sooner rather than later, we'll give the all clear and uh, say, okay, everyone, back to work. Everyone, reopen your stores. Everyone, go back, and everything will be right as rain. Well, we actually know that's not going to happen. We know that there are some businesses in deep trouble. This week, Saks Fifth Avenue in the United States has said it can't make its rental payments. Neiman Marcus can't make its rental payments. The Aldo Group of companies, the shoe store companies, they're into Chapter 11 bankruptcy protection at the moment. I know of small restaurants who are saying, well, that's it. I, I can't. I haven't got the money. I can't stay open. And so if we come back from this and we've got 5% of our population, uh, in addition to what I'll call normal unemployment, but an additional 5% who don't have jobs, there's an economic consequence to that, both a, a health from a physical standpoint, but also a mental standpoint of being out of work. Uh, you know, there are anything you do has consequences and costs associated with them, uh, and and I think we have to weigh the one against the other. But it's a very difficult thing. Absolutely, it is. Uh, I want to read you something. the uh, The former chief economic analyst for Statistics Canada says the word recession doesn't really capture how bad the economic impact of this crisis is really going to be. Now, is he overstating it, or is that a fair statement? Well, I'm not saying he's overstating it. It's it is the wrong word for what we've done here. A recession normally happens when there's a problem in a sector of our economy and it spills over into the others. So if you go back uh, uh, to 2007 and eight, there was a banking crisis, all those bad mortgages, and they mm -hmm. were spilling over. If you go back at another time, it might have been the oil sector that was in troubles and it caused other things. We've never before had governmental policy that tried to shut down a big chunk of the economy for a relatively short period of time and then try to turn it all back on again. So, you know, technically it's a recession because we will have a couple of quarters of negative growth, but they're not caused by economic fundamentals. They're caused by government policy and government policy due to health concerns. This may be a ridiculous question, and I just thought of it as you were speaking. The definition, and, and I suppose the definition is largely irrelevant, but just for a point of interest, a recession is, what, two months of two drop? Two, two quarters? Right. Okay, so uh, I was going to say that if we then, following this month or two or three or whatever it is of being shut down, if we then have, we will naturally have a giant increase from those months where things have been shut down, does that mean we don't consider it technically a recession because technically the numbers are way up from the last three months? Yes. Well, is it or is it based on where we were at the start of those things? How do you how do we you have to you have to go back to where it. we were, for instance, at the end of 2019, uh, January, February weren't bad months. But remember, we had that CN problem. Remember the rail blockage? And then yes. For the yes. Rotating strikes from the, the teachers, what have you. We had lots going on and our negative things going on in our economy. And then COVID-19 hit. And we already know that in the first quarter of this year, our economy shrank. It shrank at an annualized rate of 9%. But it didn't shrink 9% in that quarter, but if you annualize it, it would be 9%. And April was a lost month completely. May, we're going to have a bit of recovery, more recovery in June, but we know the second quarter is negative. So we are definitely in a recession right now, um, but it's a recession unlike any other recession because it's governmental policy that's put us here. And the, the interesting question, and we're going to have great time to talk about this in the second half of this year, you know, what have been all of the costs and are they justified? I can tell you right now, 
what would have been much more cost effective if we had only done this at the time was that anybody entering the country, say from uh, the 1st of March to the 15th of March, or maybe from the middle of February to the middle of March, anyone entering the country, Canadian citizen, whoever, doesn't matter who you are, we're going to put you in a mandatory quarantine on some Air Force base somewhere, put you up for two weeks, and monitor you. Not self-quarantine, not voluntary quarantine, you know, very, very almost Hitlerian that when you come in, I'm sorry, pick up your bags and get on that bus and go to that spot. It would have cost us a certain amount of money, much less, because then the rest of the country would have been safe. And I think in the future, if there was another coronavirus outbreak, say, next January, how we would respond to people returning from a hot spot would be quite different than the way we did this time around. And probably that much is... more cost effective. Uh, and you know what? That you're right. That is one that I guarantee you. You're you're very prescient because the way I guarantee you that's going to be one of the discussions that people are going to be having when this thing is over and politics can get back to normal and we can start fighting again, like everybody loves to do. Uh, Marvin Ryder from the Degroot School of Business. Thanks so much for doing this. Always appreciate it. My pleasure. Anytime. You're listening to the Scott Radley Show podcast on 900 CHML. I want to hear from you because. We just talked with Marvin Ryder. We're talking about the economy. We know how difficult things are. We know how difficult things are. The federal government, you may have heard last week, the guy who runs the budget office said, we're expecting a $252 billion deficit this year. $252 billion. And Hamilton, the city of Hamilton, is also deep in the hole money-wise. Revenues that we were anticipating are not coming in. Not right now, anyway. 23 million was the last number, and they said that would be by the end of May, and it could go higher depending on how long this whole thing goes on for. It could go a lot higher. We don't know, but it's 23 million, give or take, right now. And so with that, you say, I say at least, uh, and I, I assume a lot of other people are saying, okay, so w- what do we do? I mean, we're, we're, we're going to hope that someone's going to help cover our costs. We're going to hope that federal government or provincial government sends some money our way into all the other cities and towns that will be asking for it. But what do we do to try and shave a few pennies here and there? And I saw this story this week that says that Hamilton is going to be going ahead with all the, or most, maybe most, maybe all, but the majority of the roadside, middle-of-the-road boulevards are going to be planted this year. And I got wondering, under the current circumstances, in the current situation, is that something that we should be doing? Is that something that we should be deciding we're going to put staff time into, staff resources into? Now, to be clear, my understanding from the story is the city has its own greenhouses or whatever. They've grown these plants. So we're not buying the plants as I understand it. But we're going to have to find people, staff people within the city to do the work. And there's questions about whether or not we can hire the students that we would normally hire to do this. So we could be paying very highly paid city workers to go and plant gardens. Under the current circumstances, should we be doing this or should we be? And and some people will say, absolutely. Why would we not want to have a beautiful city? Just because it's a tough time, why do we want to not look good and take away the aesthetic niceness of Hamilton. That's fine. The other half will say, 
this seems to be a rather low priority in the grand scheme of things. I mean, just a few weeks ago, if you were listening to this show, we were talking about the Wild Waterworks and the Lazy River needing a new painting that was going to cost $500,000. And at that time, I said, well, why do we have to hire a company to do this? Surely we have city staff well-paid city staff workers who could be reassigned to go and do some painting. And at the time I was told, well, we don't reassign like that. We have, they have other things to do. Well, but now we're hearing, but they may be reassigned to go and plant flowers. Is Should we be planting flowers? Should we be going and planting flowers or should we be saying, you know what, this is the year that we're going to let this go and put our staff onto other things that have a higher priority right now. Especially, and I want to take your calls in just one second, but especially if we're not having as much staff because we've had to let some go. 905-645-3221 or star 9900. Should we be doing the planting? Does it add something to the city? Does it make us feel good? Therefore, you know what? For the relative few pennies that it costs, yeah, go ahead. Or should we be saying, no, no, those pennies add up to dollars and heaven knows we need dollars in this city and therefore that should be put away. 905-645-3221, star 9900. Fred joins me on the line today. Fred, how are you? Not bad, Scott. I'm missing this diaper up there. It hasn't got me yet. Anyway, not yet. <laughs> I hope not. Anyways, the reason I'm calling in, I heard of my writer, what he was saying. I think we're starting with a D. A lot of people, this is depression. A lot of people are depressed right now. But I think this has been a long time coming because there's a lot of greedy people out there. $10,000 these stores have to pay rent, which is pretty disgusting for the amount of money that they're paying their workers and all that. Anyways... I, I find that it's really, really bad. I'm, I'm really sh uh, not really that shocked because a lot of people were working from pay to pay as it was going. And now when this happened with this virus, the bottom did fall out, out through the whole world because of greed. And uh, I wish the prices would go back, but now everybody's still trying to make a fast dollar on what's happening today. Now, All right, so Fred, that's... That said, let me, let me, Fred, let me get to the what we were asking about, though, right now, though, and that is, should the city be spending money on staff or on resources to be planting the boulevards in on the streets, or should they say, we're going to take a pass this year? No, I think they should do what it is, uh, Scott. The companies, there are certain companies that give uh, money to have the flowers put there. If you see their name on the post beside the stoplights, those companies are giving the money to the city to have those flowers put there in them for them. So to make the city look a little bit brighter on the islands, which is very nice. And plus, it gives people uh, work and something to do instead of sitting home being depressed. At least they know they got it. They're getting paid and they got a job to do with the virus going on the way it is today. Fred, I appreciate your call. I got to go to a break, Fred, but I thank you so much for calling. I'm glad you're still okay. 905-645-3221, star 9900. Plant the boulevard flower beds or take a year off and save the money that the city doesn't have right now and help towards the deficit that we're dealing with. You're listening to the Scott Radley Show podcast on 900 CHML. Talking about 
whether or not the city should be planting its flower beds along the streets. Now, they, they are, look, there's no question. They are lovely. They add to the aesthetic of the city. They make things look much nicer. We love seeing them. That's not the issue. We love, I mean, look, who doesn't want our city to look nice? And maybe that's the answer right there, that no matter what the circumstance, no matter what the circumstances that we're dealing with, why do we then allow things to not look as nice? But we know that the city is also dealing with, right now anyway, up to a 23 million deficit, which could be higher by the end of this month. And so the question is, is this something, putting, taking staff people, now not necessarily students that we would hire for the summer, but staff people, full-time staff people, well-paid staff people, and directing them to do the planting, is this what we should be doing right now? Or should we be redirecting them to other areas that need to be done and say, look, I'm sorry, lovely as they are, this is not the year for us to be doing this. 905-645-3221, star 9900. Kevin joins me on the line right now. Kevin, how are you today? I'm very good, and yourself? I'm wonderful, thank you. Thanks for calling in. Uh, where would you go on this one? Do you do you say plant them? Because look, it makes our city look great, or no, let's save the pennies because we need to. No, I, I say no. It's uh, like a, a city or a province or a country is like a household budget. You've got to start trimming somewhere. And while the previous caller had a good suggestion about the people putting the signs that pay for this, I would suggest that a lot of companies will be a little short of money this year to be putting a sign up paying for flowers. So my answer shortly is no. Uh, you know, listen, it, Kevin, your answer is it makes sense. And look, if we could find all these companies that want to pay not just for the flowers, but also for the staff time and everything else, and for the things that this staff person could have also been doing elsewhere in the city, great. But I'm just not sure that that's the kind of money we're talking about. I don't think so, because if I had a company... I would be cutting my budget, and flowers would not be at the top of it. I, it's like shuffling the deck chairs on the Titanic. I mean, okay, hmm. yes, they're not, they are nice, but we have to start looking at cutting costs somewhere, and I, I think that's a good way to start. Kevin, thank you for the call. I appreciate it. Uh, and to thank Kevin's point, if, uh, if you are a company that has the money and really wants to start spending money on some things, might I suggest... And it's not my money, so it's not really my place to offer this. But might I suggest there are lots of other companies that are suffering in this city. We've heard about them. Perhaps, in my opinion, perhaps rather than flowers, perhaps send some of those thousands of dollars you might spend on that to help some other company that's suffering. A thought. Doris is with us now. Doris, how are you today? Hello. How are you, Doris? I'm fine. And Where would, would you go on this one? I would go and say, yes, put the flowers in because okay. the flowers, as you've heard in the last couple of weeks, the people who are in the gardening section of the, of the city are already at Gage Park doing the cuttings for the flowers. Mm -hmm. Therefore, they're getting the flowers ready. The majority, if I'm not mistaken, of the spots that are available for the flowers on the boulevards, like at the end of my street, they're all done by horticultural societies around this, you know, in the city and around. Those people are people who love to do the flowers. So they could, with the assistance of the people who are doing the cuttings, do the flowers because 
really, I've seen they have not called, they have not hired any of the kids today. Uh, I've seen that because they're not cutting the grass. And then once they have got enough flowers in all of the boulevards with all the societies, and if there's flowers left over, they've got to be people who love to buy flowers for their gardens and haven't done it with the gardening or the nurseries yet. They could buy them from the city as well. Doris, you bring up a very good point and one point that I'll take issue with. But the first, the, the, the point that I don't agree with is I, I don't necessarily want the city to be turning into public plant buying enterprises because there's a lot of pub, or private nurseries that are really hurting right now. We had one on the other week, the other day. I, I don't want that to be taken away. I don't want the city to be taking the business away from people who are reliant on that. But as for your point about the horticulturalists and the green thumbs and the whatever, once we have the okay to go out, if the city wants to put the all call out and say, look, if you want to come and work and help plant these boulevards as a volunteer effort, 100%, I'm all for that. My, I don't know the answer to this, but I wonder if the city union unions would allow for that to be done. But if that was the case, Doris, 100%, absolutely. Let's do that. All right. Good night. Thank you very much for the call. Uh, yeah, it, look, I, I don't know what the what the rules would be as far as what city unions would allow people to come in and do. I have a feeling that some of the unions that represent people who work for the city might take umbrage with the idea of work that normally would have been done by paid staff being done by volunteers. I don't think anyone would be surprised by that. But this just, this, when I saw this story, this just jumped out at me as, where is the city going to be starting to make some trims? And I know, relatively speaking, these are pennies. With the money that we're losing, these are pennies. But once upon a time, my father, a very wise man, told me that pennies add up to dollars. You have to have pennies to get to dollars. And, you know, if we just say, well, it's not that much, and we do that five or six or seven or eight or nine or 10 or 20 times with things around the city it starts to add up to something and it starts to be something we could save. Radley at 900chml.com. Would love to hear from you on this one. Send me a note if you didn't get through. You're listening to the Scott Radley Show podcast on 900chml. Let us bring in, we've, we've, we haven't had him on here for a while because hey, life is busy, but we got him now. I'm going to bring in our good friend Bubba O'Neill from CHCH. Sir, how are you today? Yeah, I, I was great till about five o'clock. Um, you know, and obviously getting a little closer to about five thirty when uh, we started to hear more from Commissioner CFL Commissioner Randy Ambrosi and his uh, you know um, video teleconference with the House of Commons. And what's come out of that is not is is, is you know we're we're a CFL city and it's um, it's um, it's not promising for the season. Well, it's not promising for the season. Let's go there, first of all, because uh, this is something that he was asked about uh, prior to the draft. Um, the CFL draft was last Thursday, I believe. Wednesday, last Thursday, something yep, in there last, last week. And he was asked, he did an interview uh, on TV prior to this and was asked about why do you need the money and what's the situation going on? And he dodged around the question. He goes, I don't deal in negatives. I don't talk about negatives. We talk about the positives. Why at that time when you have a national TV audience who's clearly fans and, and invested, these are people who are emotionally invested in your sport because they've tuned in to watch your draft. Why would you, if you're going to give this answer today, a week later, Bubba, why would you not give that answer then? 
and I, tell people what's going on. Well, I, I actually agree with what he did there. I mean, I mean, the fact that they went on with the draft, you could argue with that uh, alone, right? But, you know, you're hoping, I think eternal hope would give you that there's going to be a season at some point. And I think that was maybe their thinking at the time and maybe continues still to be their thinking that there will be some sort of a season. The draft to me is about the kids. And I don't think that you want to, I mean, that would, I mean, if, if what I heard today um, would be, have been said at that time, moments before the CFL draft, it would have stripped everything of the whatever joy, like a Nathan Rourke, the Oakville kid getting draft, uh, Gallimore, Clay, uh, Chase Clay, Claypool. I, I, it would have basically taken away the steam of everything. So I think, I think we all knew the situation of what was going on. I don't think because you're, you know, you've talked to Randy. He's an internal optimist, but this was as hardcore and as downright, I guess, truthful as he could have been possibly today. And maybe even he's gone even below to, to you know, to maybe pull the the purse strings of, uh, of the House of Commons. But I, I don't think that would have been the right time, Scott. All right, I, I, like I, I disagree only because I'm, my feeling is if you're going to do a TV interview. And you know, if you're going to do agree to do a TV interview beforehand, that this is what the question is going to be. If you don't want to answer that question because you don't want to steal the thunder, you don't go on there. But dancing around it to me seemed, uh, I don't know, it, it didn't seem like it was doing anything because it was just a week later that you but, have to but, do this. But Scott, was he dancing around or was he, just, was he just giving the same answer that he had given up to, to everyone at that same point? I, I thought he'd been Mr., you know... You know, hey, we're we got we're full of hope. I think he's been like that in every every. But what changed in a week? Nothing's changed in a week. So he knew what the answer was. That he knew what the real answer was. He just he didn't want to give it then. Yeah, you're right. You're you're probably right. Um, and so at I that think... point, I say, look, I'm not going to do. If he wanted to be on the broadcast, and look, I like Randy Ambrosi. I think he is an optimistic guy. I think yeah. he's a positive guy. But if he wanted to be on the broadcast. What he should have been doing on the broadcast is reading the selections, which weirdly it seemed like it was the announcers who were doing these selections yeah, sort the, of sporadically the, the, and randomly whenever yeah, that happened. Technically, that Randy Ambrosi should have done that. Te- technically, the, I, I already digged into that. Technically, it was unable to be. It just couldn't happen. Uh, All right. That, and that was more of the network. Uh, that was a net, more of the network's decision. It just wasn't possible to do it the way they had normally done it over the years. I mean, the, 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 NFL, the NFL could do such a thing. They have the expenses <laughs> to do such a thing. And I think, as we know, what's going on with the Canadian Football League, and, and I mean, I know from a television aspect, what they were doing in the past, and it was, certainly wasn't the NFL, that, that, that takes up a lot of money and uh, work, let's say, that they weren't prepared to okay. go forward with. So here's my next question then um we heard last week when this first came out that the cfl would be asking for up to 150 million dollars but particularly 30 million dollars right now right if you're not going to have a season i know there are some costs to have to run the offices and everything else so there are people who are working for the league i get that for sure uh is that 30 million dollars worth of salaries i i don't know if that would be the case but what, where where's the thirty million for if the likelihood is you're not even going to have a season and you're not not having to pay player salaries? Yeah, I, I'm like I'm, now when he came up, now I'm even more confused about what this money is for. Well, I, I'm thinking the thirty million would have been you know lost revenue to this point, uh, ticket sales. Obviously, people are are shying away. You know, in COVID with you know 
you know, everyone's watching their money a little bit uh, compared to what they maybe would have been a year ago or maybe even a year from now at this point at this point of, this, at the, of the early part of the season. I'm sure they would have forecasted that uh, there are probably going to be a reduced, if not no, exhibition schedule. So I think the, that $30 million, I mean, I'll be the first to say that I think the $150 million is a stretch. I think that's more of a tactic, aim high, maybe get somewhere in the middle to help you out. Um, but uh, I, I, I'm thinking that $30 million was for what early cost they were going to absorb, full knowing at this point that the season was not going to start on time, which likely means a shortened schedule. Because let me be the um, the bearer of bad news, although I'm not bearing any news really, because he talked to the, at the Commons Committee today. The commissioner says that the nine teams have collectively lost 10 to $20 million per season in recent years. So as a group, the nine of them have lost up to $20 million. Wouldn't it then be beneficial to the owners to not play a season? You're actually gaining money by not playing a season right now. And I'm, I'm, I know that that's ridiculous because we all want them to play, but financially, you may be better off not to play. Well, I think you could say that about all the leagues there, Scott. I mean, and even the ones that kind of make money, right, is that you might, you, you might not incur any losses, just don't open. You shut down and suspend the season for everyone. Um, you know, but that's also lost revenue from advertising. That's lost uh, money for the television networks, your sponsors. I mean, you can go on and on. And obviously the players, what are they going to do? They, they have no income. They're not playing. These guys are paid, basically paid. Uh, they're not like you or I. We're, we're getting a paycheck every two weeks. They're getting a paycheck every two weeks during the regular season, uh, every week during the season, I believe. So uh, there's no money there. I mean, and you're talking about, I mean, what, there's basically, what, 50 to 60 players on each particular team, um, including, you know, practice roster players, probably about 65. Um, I think you would rather have, in the name of continuing the season, and I know it maybe sounds hokey, you would rather have half a season than none. And you're right. Agreed. 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 Yeah. So I think that's probably their strategy. And no, no that, oh, look, all, all that, I, I get all that, and we, we want a season. We absolutely want a season. We want Canadian football. But if you're saying that we lose up to $20 million a year as a group, the NFL doesn't lose $20 million or any amount. The NHL doesn't lose money. The Major League Baseball teams and NBA don't lose money. The CFL is a league that is suffering. Um, again, to me, it seems like, well, you know what? I Again, I don't know why the 30 or $150 million is helping because you're already ahead of where you may have been if you had played the season. But let's, anyway. remember, let's remember, too, that this, this league is so reliant on people showing up to the ballpark. Absolutely. And, Absolutely. And, and with no one there, this is not a league. Uh, we're already, I mean, today, a new, a new league, another league announced their startup, IndyCar Racing. Um, with no fans in the stands, but they have the NBC Sports contract, so there's some money for them there, and they're projecting that fans will be allowed at some point uh, during the during the season, and and in particular racetracks in in uh, in states where you know those uh, uh, laws against gatherings of lar- large people mm-hmm. have loosened. Uh, in this country, I believe that we're going to be probably a little stricter than places in the states. So that means no fans in any ballparks in the Canadian Football League, which is a, I mean, now you're, now you're, 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 you're looking at a complete disaster. Because we do yes. know that each team are in the, getting in the range of about $4.5 to $5 million from the television contract. Uh, 
the current yeah. salary structure, I believe, is about $5 million of salary cap. So I get where the money is needed from if they play, because you're right, you can't put people in the stands and you, you're not going to pay your bills. So if there is a season or half a season, I get that you then need money from the league. I'm saying if you're not playing any games, so no players are being paid, and you are now not going to lose 10 to $20 million, why do you then need $30 million to get yourself out of a hole that you may actually be better. And, and one other thing, I know this is the case where it may be one or two teams that are dragging those numbers down. Regina, Saskatchewan is not losing money. There's no way they're losing money. Uh, there's other teams that are doing probably quite nicely. I think the Ticats, we heard, didn't we read in the last year or two, they've started to break even, maybe make a little bit of a profit. So, you know, it, like not everybody is losing money. There are teams that will be hurt by not playing for sure. Let me jump to a different topic though, because we only have a few minutes left here. And I want to get to this because we have heard, Bubba, it, the fact that there's not sports on right now means certain things are getting a lot of attention. And the folks who came out with this Michael Jordan documentary, they were not stupid people. Uh, if you are going to have a vacuum and people eager for something, throwing a 10-part documentary over five weeks, uh, brilliant strategy. It's called The Last Dance. Um, very, very well done. Very interesting behind-the-scenes look at Michael Jordan in his last year with the dynastic Chicago Bulls and then before that even. When you watch this, though, and I've noticed it in we've up, we're up to episode six now, and I really started to notice in episode five and six, the last two, and then some of the comments outside of the documentary, online in media reports, and and talking to other ex players and everything else. Do you think Michael Jordan is coming out of this looking great, or is he coming out of this looking bad, or is he coming out of it looking complicated? What what's how is the opinion of Michael Jordan changing, if at all, from this? I don't think it's changing. I think it's reminding people of the man himself. And remember, too, uh, people are saying this is a documentary. I don't think you can be um, a part of a documentary. Do you know what I mean? Like he's the because his production company is involved. Like, like, so to me, this is more of an, a look back at, at, at some things that we haven't seen. Uh, some insider information, insider visuals, and quotes, and um, and and some storytelling that we've never heard before. And 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 this is it's been so special to me, Scott, because this goes right back to my sweet spot of loving of of loving and falling in love with sports. I was in high school or the Michael Jordan era, and, and, and a guy that loved basketball amongst not many, right, at this time, and I'm trying to sell basketball to my many friends. And, of course, Jordan is the guy that makes people, uh, that, that I've started to attach people to the NBA because of, you know, the various things we've seen throughout the broadcast. But you're right. There are some negative stories that have come out about him. Um, but I will say this, because it's his production co- co- uh, company, because it's ESPN that holds Jordan in high regard, and because Jordan has the final say, we've only got a little bit. Stuff that he's okay with. The criticism mm-hmm. that he's okay with. There's a lot deeper stuff that could have been included that has not been included. Um, because he yeah. controls the message. So I think more than anything else, it, on the very, very top of it all, Scott, I think this is introducing Michael Jordan to a generation beyond yourself, myself, and maybe the one ahead of me as well, too. To people that believe that LeBron James is the best player of all time, I think this is slow. I've already heard younger people at this station that I work at that say, you know what? I've changed my mind about who the greatest NBA player is 
because they never saw anything but YouTube clips. Now that they're understanding more about the man who's now an owner and are seeing some of the crazy things that he did from his North Carolina days all through the Bulls years, and we're, not, we're, and we're only halfway through this thing, mm-hmm. um, that it's converted a whole new generation of fans for Michael Jordan and, and will help sell, sell more shoes. <laughs> well, it will do that, and some whatever else. He's apparently when you watch the documentary. I read this the other day. Uh, when he's sitting there talking, next to him is a little side table, and he's got a cigar and a glass of some amber liquid that I always just figured was scotch or whiskey or something. No, no, it's the tequila that his company has manufactured. So he always makes sure to have some of that there. There's always something being sold when Michael Jordan is involved. He's a crafty businessman. He is, and he's worth a, over a billion dollars now. So he's done very well for himself, but. It's the stuff outside. So this documentary has gotten people talking. And now we've got Isaiah Thomas, who's talking about how they don't get along. And I watched Bill Lane Beer take shots at him and say, no, no, he's not the best ever. And I'm Patrick Ewing is saying, look, I, you know, I don't even watch it. I don't want to watch this documentary. And the, the one that really shocked me is it, it, it came across how close he and Charles Barkley yep. were. And now I'm reading that because Barkley at one point made a very benign comment about how Michael Jordan was not a great owner of the Charlotte Hornets because he didn't hire people around him who Jordan would listen to. It's been five years that Jordan will not talk to Charles Barkley, which kind of reaffirms exactly what Barkley was saying, I think, that he, no one will stand up to him. Wow. Um, I mean, but, when you, what's, but what are we learning about Michael Jordan is that he's a bully, and that's what made him great. And I think for many great players, they're used to controlling the narrative, controlling the team, controlling their teammates. And, yeah, I mean, you're talking about a, a friendship of nearly 20 years that has been disrupted. And... I will also say this, Barkley's a pretty straight-up dude, but let's be honest, there's a little bit more to what that, the breakup of that friendship or the, whatever's happened in that friendship. I think there's a little bit more to it than, than just that, you know, that, those comments that he made about him when he was owning the Charlotte Bobcats at the time. I think there's more to it than that. There are, you, would, you would hope there is. You would hope, because if not... I don't think it speaks well, if that's all there is, I don't think it speaks well of Michael Jordan that a rather subtle dig would be enough to end a great friendship. That would seem ridiculous. It no, really would. There has to be more to it than that. I mean, come on. That there's, and remember, I mean, there's what, not, one, not two sides, but there's three sides to every story, and we've heard one when it comes to that friendship. I'm, I'm just, I, the thing that I'm really surprised about, and, and I'm, I, I shouldn't be, I realize I shouldn't because we've heard these stories about Michael Jordan's competitiveness, but in every other sport, including the sports where guys smash each other's faces in, when they retire, it may take a year or two, but they go to alumni events or dinners or whatever, and the guys who were in the Battle of Alberta's back in the 80s, when they killed each other, they'll hug and shake hands and laugh now and talk about the old days. It, it, it looks like if you played against Jordan or if you were in his way or if you crossed him, that never ends. That ne- that, that he is incapable of letting a slight go. And I, and I I get that that may have helped him help drive him to be a great player. Maybe one of maybe the greatest. Many would say the greatest. The among the greatest. But I'm not sure that makes him a wonderful person. 
Well, I don't think we. I don't think we've ever said. I, I mean, I don't know about yourself. I've never said that Michael Jordan's a wonderful person. I don't know the man personally, so I can't ever say that. But what I do know is he's the greatest basketball player I've ever seen, and I'm. I, I think I am. I'm okay to say, at least for in my opinion, that the reason why he's the greatest player, the fiercest player, is all of this stuff that we're seeing. This is what drives the man. I mean, if you want to know what drives this Michael Jordan, you don't even have to watch his playing career. Listen to his Hall of Fame speech, right? He comes, yeah. off, he comes off as a very, very spiteful, angry man, even to, the, even to the high school coach in North Carolina that cut him in his junior year. That probably was, made him what he was, ultimately. Right? That, that's, I well, mean, that, that's one of the beginnings of it all. Yeah, you, if, if that high school coach doesn't cut him, you don't know. I mean, we, we can't unravel the past completely and know. But that was a that was a a foundational piece of his story. And if that guy doesn't cut him, who knows what what happens to him? I mean, it's a similar story to Shea Gilgis Alexander from Hamilton. That's right. Who knows what kind of player he was driven? I've talked to him about it. He was driven by the fact that he was cut from his high school team to work and work and work and work. If he makes it, who knows what happens to him? Uh, we got to go, but I will correct you on one thing. Not the greatest player. Magic Johnson still the greatest NBA player of all time. No. But I'll, I'll put Michael Jordan in the top five. Mm. Mm. Eh, no. <laughs> <laughs> Not when Magic says it himself. <laughs> Yeah, but Wayne Gretzky says Mario Lemieux was the greatest player or Gordie Howe was the greatest player. And we know that Wayne was the greatest player. The great ones don't have to sell themselves. People do that for them. They know. I think that depends on the personality. Uh, I, I think we'll leave it at that. But I, 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 I beg to differ. And I love Magic. Magic's in my top five. Greatest point guard to ever live. But not the greatest player. We'll, we'll, we'll hash this out another day. We'll take the full, we'll take a full hour and we will take off all the shackles and have a full on argument. We'll bring in other members of a hall of fame. Even if it's not basketball, we'll, we'll do, we'll just, we'll have fireworks. We'll have sound effects. We'll do the whole thing. And maybe even fist to fist combat once we can get out of our own homes. Check out we'll the see. home games podcast, buddy. There you go. Home games podcast. Bubba's on there. It'll be a new one tomorrow. Uh, you can find it on YouTube. Home Games, Hamilton, Bubba O'Neill, Steve Milton from The Spec, myself, and Rick Zamperin from 900CHML. Uh, well worth a listen. Thanks for doing this. Have a good one. Oh, it's a pleasure. The Scott Radley Show. Weekday evenings from 6 to 8 on 900CHML. The Scott Radley Show podcast is available on Apple Podcast, Google Podcast, and wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Scott Radley. Thanks again for listening, and do not forget to subscribe to this podcast. It is free. You will never miss an episode. And also, be sure you rate us and review us. Whatever you think of us, we'll take it. Thanks for listening. For most of us, crime is something we see on the news. We never think it could happen to us until it does. Loved ones are gone, and for the survivors, the scars will never heal. I'm Nancy Hickst, a senior crime reporter for Global News. And on this season of Crime Beat, I'll take you inside some of the most serious crime stories I've covered. Season six of Crime Beat is available now on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Amazon Music, and all podcast platforms.